Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I want you to turn your Bibles again to the Epistle of Jude. And I'd like to read verses 1 through to 8. Epistle of Jude, verses 1 through to 8. So let's have a uh, brief word of prayer as we uh, share the word here. Father, it's just so great to be in your presence and to worship you and to worship the Lord Jesus and just to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts and lives, just drawing out our hearts in love and adoration to you. And now we pray that as we take your word, that uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit will quicken your word to us, feed us with food sufficient for us, help us to have responsive hearts to your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Everybody said amen. amen. All right, verse 1 through the way of Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called... Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you with a common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ." I will therefore, and as uh, someone said, whenever you see a therefore, you want to see what it's there for. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept, kept not their first estate or principality, but left their own habitation here, reserved in everlasting chains, under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. May God bless that portion of the word to our hearts this morning. This morning I want to... Uh, Look at particularly verse 4. In the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at contending for the faith that was once and for all delivered or handed down to the saints. Today, I want to look at verse 4 and pick up a particular thought there that we're going to uh, uh, major on. So let's read verse 4 again. For there are certain men, these men are unnamed here, but there are certain men whom Jude had in uh, mind, undoubtedly, crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of, of our God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord God, the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to talk about the true grace of God. The true grace of God. Everybody say that with me. The true grace of God. Let's say it one more time. The true grace of God. So here in this verse, as we've been looking at in the last couple of Sundays, Jude, as he's writing to the saints here, 
He becomes burdened in the Spirit, it says, as, as we've been looking at. When I wanted to write to you of the common salvation, the salvation that is common to us all as believers, I felt necessary and I felt compelled in the Spirit to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And we've been looking at uh, the things that belong to the faith in the last couple of Sundays. Now, out of verse uh, 3 arises verse 4, and he says, For, so I'm exhorting you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Why? Because or for there are certain men who have crept in unawares, and uh, I want to uh, link verse 4, the first part, and just uh, jump to the last part. For there are certain men crept in unawares who are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's what we want to talk about, so about the true grace of God. Now, as you go through the book of uh, the epistle of Jude, uh, someone, when I did a survey, someone sort of referred to this uh, epistle of Jude. It's just like the vestibule to the book of Revelation. Before we get into the book of Revelation and end time stuff and what's happening in the last of the last days, the epistle of Jude is like the foyer. It's like the vestibule into the book of Revelation. And someone has entitled it, Jude is the Acts of the Apostates. Now it's interesting that uh, when we go back to the book of Acts, the beginning of church history, the first book of the Bible on church history is referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. Last book we are dealing with church history, except uh, Revelation itself, of course, is referred to as the Acts of the Apostates. So in the book of Acts, we have the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, and here we have the Acts of the Apostates. And it's interesting to note the various men uh, that are sort of the different apostates that are referred to in this uh, book here in verse 4. Of course, we have certain men unnamed here, but certain men that Jude had in mind. Then in verse uh, 4, he refers to those who apostatize out of the nation of Israel, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Saved, but destroyed them that believed not. So the apostates and the nation of Israel. Then in verse 6, we have apostate angels. And uh, this is pretty hard for us to uh, understand fully. But the angels which kept not their first estate, their principality, left their own habitation. So we have falling angels, angels that sinned. Then in verse 7, we have an apostate city, Sodom and Gomorrah. And we think of the whole Sodomite society that we're living in throughout the world today. And uh, uh, set forth an, uh, as an example of eternal fire, Sodom and Gomorrah, apostate. And then in verse 9, uh, in uh, verse 9, we have an apostate archangel, the devil. When Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, uh, he disputed over the body of Moses. So we have a fallen apostate angel the, called the devil here. And then in verse 3, we have another three apostates. Woe unto them, they have gone, number one, in the way of Cain. Number two, they have ran greedily after the arrow of Balaam. And number three, they have perished in the gainsaying of Kor or Korah. So Cain, Balaam, and Korah, all apostates. So the acts of the apostates and every one of them are guilty of turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, abuse of the grace of God. On the positive side, we have in verse 3 and verse 14, the saints, the faith which was once and all for, uh, delivered to the saints, 
uh, Enoch prophesied of the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. In verse 9, we have a good archangel, Michael, the archangel contending with the devil, a fallen archangel. So here we have a good archangel and a fallen archangel, both contending. And we talked about contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Here we have two archangels contending, contending over the body of Moses. And we have Moses, uh, the lawgiver. And then in verse 10, we have Enoch. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, uh, those who would come uh, and the coming of the Lord and judgment. So the book is basically a book about apostates, the Acts uh, of the apostates. Now, as we look at verse 4, which is our text for this morning, there's three particular questions we want to answer together. So let's uh, read the verse again, or particularly the part that we're looking at. For there are certain men crept in unawares, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. So first of all, we want to ask our question, uh, what is the grace of God? What is the grace of God? Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Brother Chuck Swindle's recent book, The Grace Awakening. How many have seen that uh, book? Excellent book and well worth getting. And uh, on the title of the book, it's called The Grace Awakening. In the bo- on, the, on the front cover of the book, it's got, Believing in grace is one thing, living it is uh, another. And then in the contents of the book, uh, on uh, The Grace Awakening, on chapter 3, he has a chapter entitled, Isn't Grace Risky? And his answer was, yes. My answer is yes, because... Certain men have crept in unawares, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. So I recommend that you get hold of the book. It's called The Grace Awakening by Charles Swindle. Excellent book. And uh, I'm going to uh, be talking about that this morning. So first of all, our first question is, what is the grace of God? Second question is, what is lasciviousness? I asked Peter Sheen this morning. Uh, That's a word that is not taught in schools today. How many know what lasciviousness is? They don't even teach it in Waverley Christian College. It's such a big word. So it's not a swear word. It's just a big word. We'll come up with another word for it in, in a moment. But it's, it's more than a four-letter word. And how many could stand up and uh, uh, spell that word for me this morning? Can you spell it, Mark? Uh, like that. See, it's, it's a, yes, you can stand up and re, uh, spell it for me then. N E W S. Okay, wonderful. Let's give her a hand for that. Okay. Mo- most kids in, in uh, school don't learn that word. You don't, you're not taught it in Monash, you, you're taught how to do it. Uh, yes, it's the equivalent. That's a, syn- a synonym. Yes, well, it depends whether you've got Paul's translation or the New King James or NIV. Uh, that's all right, yes. But, but I wanted to answer, uh, ask the question. So what is lasciviousness? And then, of course, the third question is, how did these certain men turn the grace of God into lasciviousness? So there's sort of three questions that we want to look at in our uh, limited time this morning. All right, first of all, I want to give you a definition of the grace of God. And the word grace is used about 130 times in, the, uh, in King James and the New King James, about 130 times. And grace has been defined 
as that which is freely bestowed with no expectation of return. It is, a, it is an act which finds its only motive in the good-heartedness of the giver. Just recently, I gave Mark and Nicole a thousand dollars. That was entirely grace. Let me give you the definition again so it makes that thousand worth more. That which is freely bestowed with no expectation of return. Blessed are they that expect nothing, they shall not be disappointed. Isn't that a new proverb out? It is an act which finds its only motive in the good-heartedness of the giver. I think, I think the best theological definition of the grace of God is what I have in my textbook, Foundations of Christian Doctrine. Grace is the undeserved, unearned, and unmerited favor of God bestowed upon sinful men. So let me say that again. I think that's the best definition. So grace is the undeserved, unearned, and unmerited favor of God bestowed on sinful men. First of all, it's undeserved because all we deserve is the wrath of God and judgment. So grace is undeserved. Can you say amen this morning? It's unearned. Because we cannot earn it by any amount of works, no matter what we do. This was the difference between law and grace. Law was always demanding do and live, do and live. Uh, uh, law said do and live, grace says live and do. So you can never, never, ever do enough to earn the grace of God. No matter what you can do, fill up your box of works, uh, you can never uh, do enough works to earn the grace of God. And then, of course, it's unmerited, for there is nothing in man that deserves it. Nothing in us that uh, merits the grace of God. The word grace has basically the same meaning in Hebrew and Greek, and uh, it's translated by different words like graciousness, kindness, favor. And the, uh, the Greek word charis, translated grace, means graciousness of manner or act, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The definition of grace arises out of a Greek custom. When the Greeks wanted to give a gift out of pure generosity of heart without any thought of reward, the word they used for gift was grace. So we think of the Bible on grace gifts or gifts of grace, having gifts different according to the grace that is given to us. So the essential meaning of grace has to do with favor, causing favorable regard, granting of a favor, particularly divine favor, and it includes in itself mercy, kindness, and the love of God. Let me just quickly give you uh, several other definitions of the word grace. Uh, another definition says, God's mercy, kindness, and love bestowed upon mankind. Uh, Meiji and Thomas, his definition of grace is very beautiful, and he spells uh, grace, G-R-A-C-E, grace. And he says, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that's a very good definition of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Then another definition is by Webster, Webster's Dictionary. And he says, grace is the free, unmerited love and favor of God and the divine influence in man to restrain him from sin. Very good definition. So the free, unmerited love and favor of God and the divine influence in man to restrain him from sin. Uh, Strong's exhaustive concordance. 
he defines grace as the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in life. Bill Gothard in his uh, uh, basic youth seminars, he says, grace is an active force within us, giving us the desire and the power to do things God's way. That's very good too. Wendell Smith, he says, uh, grace is the God-given desire and ability to accomplish God's will. And uh, so we have a lot of good definitions of grace, but it basically has to do with the favor, mercy, kindness, and love of God. Now, I want you to turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 17. Now, in our Bible, uh, though we have the uh, Bible sort of broken up into Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, you will find that even under the Old Testament, as we refer to it, the, under the law, there were many, many, many numerous people who experienced the grace of God. John 1 verse 17 puts it this way, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Really important to understand what the verse is saying and what it's not saying. The law was given. The law didn't come. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Not, by, not grace only, but grace and truth. Not grace without truth or truth without grace, but grace and truth. So the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So even though we refer to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, as the age of law, numerous people experienced the grace, the loving kindness, the mercy, and the love of God. The moment Adam sinned, we think of Adam. Uh, he experienced the grace of God. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, if God had have come, come just in, in uh, only holiness, he, would have just, he could have just zapped them. But the very fact that God came and... Uh, killed an innocent animal and uh, clothed them in the coats of skin so that they didn't have to wear their uh, fig leaf bikini suits. Uh, the very fact that God did that, that was the grace of God. Adam and Eve were clothed in the coats of skin provided through the death of an innocent victim. And that was the grace of God. Adam couldn't merit it. He couldn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. They just de deserved the judgment of God. So Adam and Eve knew the grace of God. Uh, we're told later on how Noah... He found grace in the eyes of the Lord in the midst of a crooked and corrupt generation. Abraham found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, you'll find right through many, many people, even Moses in the Mount uh, of Sinai, when he's receiving the law and the Ten Commandments and everything like that, uh, Moses said, if I have found grace in your sight, and the Lord said to Moses, you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So many, many men in the Old Testament, David, when he committed adultery and uh, indirectly murdered uh, Uriah's uh, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the Bathsheba's husband, uh, he was under the death penalty. Uh, committing adultery, murder, was punishable by death. The very fact that God put away his sin and forgave him, even though he punished him, David knew the grace of God. And many of the Psalms of David speak about God's grace. So right through the Old Testament, even though they're under law, uh, they experience grace. In fact, if it wasn't for the bloodstained mercy seat, covering the, the law of God, 
The whole nation would have been wiped out. That was the grace of God right there. So even under the law, there was numerous people, there were numerous people who experienced the grace of God. I think one of the uh, major examples of the grace of God is found in a, a, a king by the name of King Manasseh, and he was one of the wickedest kings in Judah, and he was born to Hezekiah in the 15 years extension of life. And as you go through the unbelievable abominations, unbelievable lists of sins that uh, Manasseh was guilty of and caused the nation to lapse into, uh, you, you certainly see a man who experienced the grace of God. I made a list of some of the things here. After the revival and reformation under Hezekiah, the nation lapsed under Manasseh into the worst forms of idolatry and sins that could never be cleansed. Manasseh was guilty of building high places, altars for Balaam, groves. He worshipped the host of heaven, had the nation of Israel or house of Judah more particularly do it. He built altars to different gods in the house of the Lord, to the heavenly host. He caused his own children to pass through the fire. Uh, like Charles' sacrifice, he was an observer of times, and uh, he, he used enchantments, he followed a familiar spirit, he actually set up a carved image in the Holy of Holies, in the very house of God, and the Bible tells us that he made Judah and Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen that God destroyed until the land spewed them out, and that we are told that he shed much innocent blood in Jerusalem. In fact, tradition goes on to say, so wicked was this king Manasseh that he, he was the one that uh, sawed Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in half uh, in a tree. So wicked, wicked man. And so God brought judgment upon him, took him to Babylon, and in Babylon we're told that he humbled himself before the Lord and sought the Lord, and when he humbled himself, God just forgave all his sins, all his iniquity. I mean, how many think that's the grace of God? Absolute grace. How many think that's the grace of God? I'll ask you a question. Grace of God. You think of the dying thief on the cross. While the two thieves are reviling Jesus, one thief eventually quitted, and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the Lord said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's grace. Deathbed repentance. A man lived his whole life in sin, and right on deathbed, and what a deathbed it was, being crucified, uh, he receives the grace of God. Paul, the Pharisee, religious bigot, murdering Christians, blaspheming, even caused Christians to blaspheme. He said, I did it in ignorance, but God had mercy upon me. And Paul is the greatest revelator of, of grace in the total Bible, the grace of God. And I think the grace of God for ungodly sinners today, that people can live in sin and live such a depraved life, and yet when they come and seek the Lord in genuine repentance, all their sins are blotted out. And I like what the Bible says, God casts our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness. And he puts a little notice up there, no fishing allowed. How many are glad for his grace? And I think if we had all eternity, and if every one of us this morning had the opportunity to share about our lives, all of us would be able to say, wow, the grace of God. I stand here this morning, saints, not as any high big shot or anything like that, just entirely the grace of God. If you knew the grace of God in my life, uh, just as we're worshipping the Lord this morning. See, so oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. I just had to stop myself crying. I stop now. Just the grace of God and just his mercy to us all that we're here. Those, those songs, 
And so, Lord, make me pure. Purify me with it. Yes, Lord, I just, I just want you. I have an intense longing for you, Lord Jesus. Just his grace. And every one of us here this morning are just evidence of the grace of God. Can you say amen this morning? If we all knew our stories and the intricate details of our life that only Jesus knows. We just thank him for his grace. Grace of God. Now, let's go back to Judas. Time keeps moving here. Anything I am is by the grace of God. Anything we are is the grace of God. All right, now, we've sort of answered our question on the grace of God. Now let's look what's happening here. In verse 4, Jude says, Okay, I'm asking you and exhorting you to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered the saints. Because what's happened, there were certain men who have crept in unawares. Different translations on this creeping in are interesting here. Uh, the Living Bible says, they have wormed their way in amongst us. Philip says, they have surreptitiously entered the church. RSV says, admission has been secretly gained. And uh, other translations bring out like, they've slipped in unnoticed. These certain men who have crept in unawares, secretly slipped in among you, have infiltrated among you, wormed their way in, and the Amplified says, crept in stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. They have crept in unnoticed. Uh, I've used this illustration before, but it's the, the whole thought is like a crab. Uh, all of us have seen crabs in our life. I'm not talking about two-legged ones. Uh, regular crabs have ten legs. And they have these elongated uh, eyes that sort of, you know, look at you like that. And has anybody ever seen a crab walk straight? Crabs creep. I remember Charles Simpson talking about crabs. He says uh, he was uh, walking along the beach one day and this guy had a whole bunch of crabs in the basket there and uh, no, no lid on them. And he said to the guy, aren't you frightened of those crabs getting out? He said, no, they're Christian crabs. He said, Christian crabs? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, while one's trying to get out, the other one pulls him down. <laughs> we hope it's not like that in Waverly. Did you wake up crabby this morning? Then uh, Dick Benjamin tells me about this guy who went in a cafe and, uh, and uh, just w- she was real crabby. And so the waitress said to what would you like? She said, well, do you serve crabs? She said, we serve anybody in this place. <laughs> so, you know, we use cr- crabs in quite a subtle way here. So here these certain men have crept in crab-like. They've crept in sideways, you know, their eyes bobbing around like telescopes on a submarine, you know, looking around. And they've crept in sideways, they've wormed their way in. And saints, this is not just a message, this, this is going on today. It has been way back from uh, the uh, time of the Apostle Peter and, and uh, Paul and Jude here, about people creeping in and turning the grace of God, twisting, distorting, abusing the grace of God and turning it into lasciviousness. Uh, look, at, look at the epistle of Jude here, and uh, I mark my Bible on everything. It's interesting to note, six times in this epistle, he talks about these. So in verse 4, he says, there are certain men, he doesn't name them here, there's certain men, Paul generally names them, for there are certain men crept in unaware, and then he talks about these. Verse 8, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, 
despise them and speak evil of dignities. Verse 10, these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Uh, verse 12, these are spots in your love feast, feasts of charity. Um, and then in verse, um, let's see, verse 14, Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, and saying, the Lord comes with his saints to execute judgment. And verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaks great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of uh, advantage. Verse 19, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Six times, talks about these, these, these. Certain men have... Amongst you, turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And so, as it was going on, so it is today. I have mentioned before, I think, that uh, when I was in America a number of years ago, there were certain uh, guys, uh, Pentecostal people, charismatic people, they would minister in meetings and, uh, and preach the gospel. People would get saved and filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues, people would get healed. And after the meeting, they would get into what they told me about dens of iniquity. And there they would smoke and drink. Uh, they would be home, into homosexuality, fornication, adultery, just living like the devil behind the scenes. Now, what was happening here? I want you to go over to Romans, Romans chapter 5, and it's an ancient heresy. Abuse of the doctrine of the grace of God. So Romans chapter 5. And listen to what, uh, we haven't got time to go through all the scriptures, but you'll find that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, and the Apostle Jude all warn about those teachers who are going to corrupt the grace of God. It's like uh, language, Romans chapter 5 while I'm talking, like those who say, well, once in grace, always in grace, even if I live in disgrace. I'm eternally secure. Once you're saved, you can't be lost. Once you're born again, you can't be unborn. And so they, they abuse the grace of God. They twist, distort, and pervert the grace of God into lasciviousness. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5 in dealing with this heresy. As answering the questions that are abounding there. Because in the previous chapter, Romans 3, he's, he's talking about those who, who say, Let us do evil that good may come, and abusing God's grace. Romans 5 and verse 15, uh, the second clause there, For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. Verse 20, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. For where sin abound, abounded, grace did much more abound. How many can say hallelujah? But we mustn't stop there. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign unto eternal life. Now what's it say? Even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? What are we saying then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer is, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
And so we have teachers in America, when I was there, we have the same thing as Australians around the world, this perversion of the grace of God is, well, the more we sin, the more we'll experience the grace of God because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So once in grace, always in grace, if I live in disgrace. Years ago when I was in Bendigo, I... Uh, uh, there was a brother in the church there. He belonged to Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. He was a car dealer. And uh, he used to lie and cheat and carry on. And when I'd face him on these things, he'd say, Well, Kevin, I'm just trusting the grace of God. You know, where sin abounds, grace abounds. So the more I sin, the more grace abounds. That was his philosophy. And he said, I'm not trusting my righteousness. I'm trusting the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And uh, I said, Well, you can't abuse the grace of God. Because he believed he was eternally secure. Once in grace, always in grace. And I said, that's greasy grace. Cheap grace. No. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. A brother, I had to fly to Sydney on one, t one occasion there. Beautiful brother, lo lovely wife, lovely family. Got into all the sins of Romans 1. Homosexuality, smoking, carrying on and the whole thing. And uh, he said, well, you know. I'm in grace. Once you're born again, you can't be unborn. Once you're a son of God or a daughter of God, you can't be unborn. It doesn't matter what I do. I said, well, you can't turn and twist and distort and pervert the grace of God into lasciviousness or licentiousness, all kinds of lust. That's what the word lasciviousness means. Licentiousness, greasy grace. And so we have this doctrine that's still around. It began in the early church. Paul dealt with it. Peter dealt with it in 2 Peter chapter 2. False teachers, false prophets, perverting the grace of God, and Judy's dealing with it. So turning the grace of God into all kinds of lust. That's the problem that you're up against here. Now, I want you to go over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, and then for our last few moments I want to put something on the overhead that I want you to take down if you're taking notes here. What is the true grace of God? So 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, Peter is the one that uses this expression, the true grace of God. And so many people have said to me over the years, well, it doesn't matter, you know, if I commit adultery, God will forgive me. You know, I commit fornication, or I'm into drugs or anything, God will forgive me, God's love, God's kind. That's presuming on the grace of God. Shall, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You know, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer there? And if we're dead to sin, we cannot live in sin and say, oh, well, grace of God covers that. That's imposing, presuming on the grace of God. All right, what scripture did I say? 1 Peter 5 and verse 12, the latter part particularly. Uh, by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose, I have written briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. The true grace of God. At least seven times in Peter he uses grace. So the true grace of God wherein you stand. So what does he mean the true grace of God? The real, the genuine grace of God. Let's turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And uh, this is Paul writing to his son in the faith before he's beheaded. And in this passage... I believe that Paul spells out the clearest revelation of the doctrine of the grace of God and what the true grace of God teaches us so that we don't get into, and I'm not saying this here, saints in Waverley, because we have this amongst us, God forbid, 
But uh, just because I felt, you know, we are to contend for the faith once to deliver the saints, and also we have to watch that with our appreciation of the grace of God, that we don't turn the grace of God into lasciviousness uh, at all. David Wilkerson, uh, in one of the tapes I listened to a number of years ago, he expresses his whole concern over this that so many... So many kids that he was handling with out of the drug scene, out of the whole hippie culture and so forth. He said what he was concerned about is that thousands of kids were sort of, you know, use a bad expression, adding Jesus to their bag, but still living the same sinful lifestyle under the grace of God. So they still were into marijuana and, and dope and drugs and sex and everything. like. There was no difference in their lifestyle, but I'm a Christian. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. We're all Christians. And abusing the grace of God, twisting, perverting the grace of God into all kinds of lust. That's not the true grace of God. Listen to Titus chapter 2 as we finish here. And then I want to put some things on the overhead that I'd like you to take down. This is what the true grace of God teaches us. I'll read uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 10. The latter part of verse 10 particularly that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. The doctrine, the teaching, the instruction, didaskalos it is, the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. For the grace of God, here it is, not turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, but the grace of God that bringeth salvation, or brings salvation to all men, has appeared to all men, teaching us, so what does the grace of God teach us? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak... That's what I'm doing this morning, and exhort. I'm doing that this morning, rebuke with all, I'm doing that this morning, through the word, rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Let's put on the overhead what the true grace of God teaches us. Okay, so this is the clearest of all Paul's revelation, teaching on the grace of God. I've gone through many of the scriptures that the New Testament talks about the grace of God, and I appreciate his grace, as we all do this morning, but... I'm, I'm wary of those who pervert or twist or distort the grace of God and say, well, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm sorry to have to say these things extreme, but men that I know personally, ministers of the gospel who have built big churches, who have been involved with 18 women in their church, 12 women, and so forth. I mean, these things are going on. And when I face them, oh, well, the grace of God, you know, I, I'm trusting the grace of God. Say, hey. You are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. The true gra grace of God, what? Here it is, very clear. Okay, number one, or A, the grace of God brings salvation. Full, complete salvation, wholeness in our total being. B, the self, uh, grace of God has appeared to all men. When did it appear to all men? The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law was given, but grace came. But as I said, not grace without truth, or truth, truth without grace. Otherwise, that's cheap grace. Grace personified in the Lord Jesus. And number three, or C, 
the grace of God teaches us. What does the grace of God, te- uh, grace of God teach us? It teaches us to, one, deny ungodliness, anything that is unlike God. <clears throat> Pardon me. Number two, the grace of God teaches us to deny unworldly or to deny worldly lusts and desires of the world system or licentiousness, lasciviousness, uh, all kinds of lusts, to deny worldly lusts. Number three, it teaches us that we should live soberly, discreetly and of a disciplined mind. The word sober has the thought of, of a disciplined mind. And you know a person who's drunk, they don't think straight. Their mind is not disciplined. And even the old television is trying to, if you drink and then drive, you're an idiot. I didn't say it. Okay? Just for the tapeworms. Okay, so to live soberly, to live with a disciplined mind. Number four, it teaches us to live righteously. And the real test is not what we say or what we believe. The real test is how we live. That's the bottom line. Do I live righteously? It's not what I believe. I can believe the Bible and be a teacher, whatever. But it's what my lifestyle is, to live righteously. That's the bottom line. Number four here. Oh, that's number four, to live righteously. Number five, to look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, of, our, of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And, and, and John says, every man that has this hope, looking for the blessed hope, every man that has this hope within himself purifies himself as he is pure. And we sang it this morning, you know, purify my hands. Here's my hands. Make me pure and cover me with your holiness and clothe me with your righteousness that I may ascend into the hill of the Lord. How, how many were moved as you were singing those songs this morning? Uh, very moving. The presence of the, presence of the Lord just uh, moves, moves me to tears. I say, Lord, I, I want to be Everything that you want me to be. All right, so, uh, and then number six here. Grace of God shows that the Lord Jesus Christ came. He gave himself for us. Not that we abuse his grace, but that he might redeem us. Redemption, redeem us from all iniquity, all lawlessness. Uh, Antinomianism, one of the uh, most abused scriptures today is Romans 6, 14. I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Many times in counseling, I have to talk, well, well, Kevin, you know, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Well, what, what does grace mean to you? I'm not under law, I'm under grace. So what does grace mean? Well, grace is lawlessness. I'm not under law, I'm under grace. So what is grace? And see, people equate grace with lawlessness. Grace is not lawlessness. Let me s- summarize very briefly the difference between grace and law. The law wrote the tables of the commandments, the Ten Commandments, on the tables of stone. They were external, telling us what to do, giving us no power to do it, and condemning us when we didn't do it. That's law. But grace is the Lord writing his tables of law on our heart and on our mind, internal, giving us power to do it that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So we must not equate grace with lawlessness. And this is what Charles Swindle deals with. Is grace risky? Yes, he says, it is risky because of what people do. 
with the grace of God, turning into lasciviousness. And then number seven here, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might not only redeem us from all lawlessness, iniquity, but purify unto himself a peculiar people, a costly treasure and specially chosen people. And then number eight, a people that will be zealous of good works. What's the grace of God teach us? It teaches us these things. And so Paul says to Timothy in his last epistle, writing on the grace of God, these things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority, because our authority is in the word, let no man despise you. I want to be true to the grace of God. Don't you? Can you say amen this morning, saints? I ask the question, can you say amen this morning? Let's all stand. Perhaps we could sing as we close just one verse of amazing grace, a cappella or beord, or unless Mark can do that. Amazing grace, and then let's close with a word of prayer. Amazing how sweet. presence this morning. Thank you for the sense of the Holy Spirit amongst us. Thank you for your precious word and Father we just thank you for the, from the bottom of our heart that every one of us who stand here this morning who know you as our personal Savior, we just want to thank you for your grace in each of our lives that every one of us evidence the grace of God. Father as we realize we're living in uh, momentous times Times of revival, times of ingathering, in gathering, times of apostasy. And there's so many churches are compromising to get people into the church, lowering the standard and turning the grace of God into looseness and license. Letting people just uh, live how they like as long as they add Jesus to their bag. I pray, Father, that you'll help us here in this fellowship to lift up the standard of the doctrine of the grace of God. Lord, that we'll practice what the grace of God teaches us. God, in the midst of a generation that presumes on the grace of God and twists the grace of God, and so many false teachers that have wormed their way into the church around the world and are abusing the grace of God. Father, help us to maintain the faith of the doctrine of the grace of God once delivered the saints. We thank you for your word this morning. 
pray it'll fall upon good ground of our heart and bring forth fruit unto holiness and unto righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we pray your grace and your blessing and your goodness will be upon us till we gather tonight in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said Amen. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.